welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. Amen. Listen, we, we, got, a, we got a special treat for uh, you guys this morning as we continue our rebranding series uh, this morning we're going to have a little panel on rebranding manhood right and, and so as as we think about the topic of manhood especially from a leadership perspective uh, we are thinking about three things and this doesn't just relate to men necessarily but but this morning just something that's on our mind is we, we want to talk about what it looks like to engage men from the church to equip men from the church and then to be able to release men from the church, right? And, and we see those themes, you know, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that part of the church's responsibility is to equip men and women for the work of the ministry, right? But then in Colossians chapter 1, he talks about what the end goal is. He says, I, we, we proclaim him warning and teaching and admonishing everyone so that we might be able to present all men mature in Christ and so so the goal for us as we talk about this idea of manhood is to be able to engage equip and release men to do the work of the ministry so that we might be able to mature them in Christ that makes sense to everybody we, we y'all ready for this panel amen so th this morning this morning I just want to introduce uh, we, we're gonna do a, an all elders panel this morning uh, this morning. So I want to introduce our, or welcome our elders up to the stage. Uh, Pastor Mark Lyons, Pastor Mac Lawhorn, Pastor Gesha Warwood, Pastor Nyron Burke, and of course, the illustrious, always on the stage, Pastor Vernon, Vernon B. Mobley. Amen. I hear somebody still singing in, in prayer. No, that's right. Amen. So, fe fellas, as we, as we get started this morning, you know, just to kind of uh, lead us in, there, there oftentimes is a perception about men in the church um, lacking moral character and even sometimes just the, the strength of manhood. Uh, there's often a perception uh, about how the church engages men, right? And I, and I think uh, a lot, uh, or let me not say a lot, but I think there's a segment of uh, black men who view this, the church in the same way they view the Democratic Party, right? Um, I don't know if y'all notice a conversation happening out in the world right now that we, as we get closer to voting, but, but they sometimes view the church as untrustworthy, that they want their commitment without addressing any of their core needs. That it can oftentimes be performative. Um, and it's not that they're against the church, but they don't see the church as offering viable solutions that impact their world. And so the, the first question I want to ask to, to kind of jump us off is, how have, from your, from your estimation, your perspective, how have men been branded in the church, both positively and negatively? I'll, I'll jump in there. I think um, I'll start with the positive. I think uh, just from my own personal experience, the positive branding of, uh, of godly men, authentic manhood, biblical manhood is, uh, I think, a leadership. I think a loyalty, uh, commitment. 
I think of men like my grandfather, my father, my wife's father, who were committed to the work of the Lord. My grandfather was the old school chairman of the deacon and trustee board who had the ring of keys and would come in and let us play in the gym as kids while he checked every sink and made sure it ran and every toilet flushed in the church. And he took the, uh, the offering uh, to the bank for the church after service on Sundays. He made sure uh, he, he checked you know, men who, who needed to be corrected. He encouraged men who needed to be corrected. He took ownership, and he was a leader. I think about uh, some Sunday school teachers I had that were uh, great scholars of the word, may not have had like a formal education, but they knew their Bible. And so I think those are, those are brands that are positive. I think the negative brands come from really the things that God hates. You know, the Bible says that God hates pride, and I think anytime pride steps in, and we begin to steal God's glory for ourselves. We're selfish. We're greedy. Uh, we're not truthful. Uh, we're not faithful. Um, those are the negative brands, I think, that fall. And I think that's primarily in the, in the, we see that in the local church. I would say, I would say um, some of the negative things that I see um, that I believe that men definitely see is like, one, it, it, it shows itself up as a result of a lack of commitment to God's word. You know what I mean? Like, not like not being committed, um, lacking integrity, um, lacking character, um, lack of leadership. Um, when you don't have men that take the initiative, take their role seriously, or yeah, taking their role seriously and operating within the role that the way that God has designed them to, um, it gives a it gives a blurred or a murky view to other men, and men are not necessarily going to be attracted to that. Yeah, can you, can you share what you shared this morning? <laughs> <laughs> That's an iron thought. He was going to sneak by. Let's try to give other people's opportunity. Um, it, it's funny, I didn't think of it this, this first, uh, in the first service, but what, as you asked the question, there's a little part of me that got a little bit um, annoyed because of the historical backdrop, right? That um, when we say things like, oh, the church's not doing anything, et cetera, that's ignorance, right? Because leadership and even, uh, we're talking about men, but it applies to women as well. Particularly in the black church, leadership, the, the black church defined leadership in the black community, right? That if you look historically at black leadership, it was Christian leadership. They were synonymous, right? So if you look at, at prominent leaders, Douglas, church, right? King, and that whole generation, church, right? Uh, one of my favorites, because I'm Jamaican, Marcus Garvey, not a church leader, but a stout Christian, right? The whole Pan-African movement, church, right? So the, the whole idea of, uh, we started schools, like everything, businesses, the, the ability of the black community to succeed came out of, and the definition of what it looked like to lead from a male standpoint, uh, and also from a female standpoint, was, was through the church, right? That if you wanted to lead in the black community, you were in the church, right? That's just how it happened. Um, and so th there is a lot of ignorance in terms of what that looked like and the contributions historically. And part of what's happened is now we have a buffet of options and there's an array of different things, of ways that leadership look like, ways that, um, that maleness is expressed um, hip-hop certainly had a big impact on that. I would say that hip-hop competes with kind of traditional black church culture in terms of defining manhood, et cetera. But there are other, other influences as well, right? So now we have an array of things. And some of that's good, right? Because part of the reason why the black church 
was the place of leadership, was it was the one institution we could actually control, right? And the one institution where there was freedom to rise to levels of leadership. So it's not necessarily a bad thing that we now have options. I think that's good and healthy, but it has kind of watered down the idea of what, the, what does leadership look like? What does a man look like, um, particularly in the black community? Um, and I think we have to um, explain to people some of that history and also make sure that we are uh, lifting up a biblical framework of what leadership looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so, so with that, you said that you talked a little bit about that leadership, um, that, that connection to leadership in the black community, to the church, right? And, and how there, now there's a lot uh, more options available for men to go to, right? And so, so when we put that in perspective, uh, where are men's primary influences coming from in the church? Uh, I think... Uh, Part of it, the influence, I think about like social influencers, right? So, uh, and the platforms that people have, you can kind of manufacture a platform now. So I think men are influenced by that. I think men are typically drawn, you know, we, the old saying that we're visual, right? So we're drawn to uh, um, greatness, right? We're drawn to the, the debates we see on sports television all day with men watch is who's the greatest this or who is the greatest that? Who you got, LeBron or or MJ or, or Kobe. And it's, it's uh, I think men are influenced by that. I actually just watched the documentary about the Redeem team and it talked about how Kobe Bryant was, uh, the other guys on the team uh, had gone out, they were in Vegas and they're out, staying out all night and they come back and they get on the elevator or they come back to the lobby and Kobe Bryant is like lacing it up, ready to go to the gym. It's like 5.30 in the morning. And they're like, what? nobody even said anything. He didn't say, hey, you guys come to the gym with me. He just he influenced them by his attitude for greatness. And they said by a week, a week or so into this training, everybody was up at 5.30. Nobody's going to the club. So men are influenced by like, legitimate, authentic leadership. They're influenced by greatness. They're influenced by things that will propel them to want to be better than what they are. And I think in the church, it, it rests with leaders, right, to be men of God, to be authentic in their manhood, their pursuit of the word, uh, because men are influenced by that. Yeah, I would I would say uh, social media is is a big influencer. Um, everybody, spa pastors included, um, even if they are self ordained. Um, don't don't start no stuff, Pastor. Sorry, sorry, I apologize. But 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 I think Sunday morning or Wednesday night is no longer where we see our influences anymore. It's Sunday to Sunday because we have a cell phone. We have, we talked about this earlier, we have Twitter. We have so, all these types of social media. And so I think what, who gets the, uh, who gets the seat, the prime time seat, are those who are willing to, to promote on their social media. It's not the pastor who preaches faithfully at, in service anymore. It's the one who can be as creative. It's the one who can make me feel good after I hear your sermon. Um, and those are the people I think who are influencing. And we're not, I'm not talking about just influencers at large. I'm talking about church influencers. And, and so I think the church gets a bad rap when, when, when all that people see or what people like 
is in front of them. And so they say, man, that's the church. While you have other churches who are faithfully taking care of the needs of the, of, of the neighborhoods, and they never are seen. And so I think that one of the bigger influences comes from the fact that social media in our society is so prevalent and, and it's in our faces. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that, that men just, like men are influenced heavily by personal relationship, right? And so, so men tend to be influenced by other men that they look up to, that they want to be like, right, that, that they admire. And, and so typically it's, it's because there are certain characteristics that they see in other men that they want to now aspire to. And so the closeness of relationship allows for that to so oftentimes take place. But I think even, even from a distance, men can see other men and they want to, men, men want to achieve greatness, right? They want to have a standard set that they have to meet and, and match. A lot of times what you hear though is guys don't have a standard, so they don't know where the bar is, right? And I, and I, think, I think a lot of men are aware of the low bar that has been set for them but they're, they're not in community with other men to have somebody else among them who has a bar that's been raised. Uh, and so, but, but in general, I think men want to be influenced by other men, but, but, but only by men that they respect. Because if they don't respect you, they won't follow you, right? And so even as we sort of talk about just, just uh, sort of how men are, are engaged and, and even think, right? You know, some, some men express sort of the frustration that the culture in some churches leans more towards engaging women towards their neglect, right? Uh, and so what do you think has led to a more demasculated church culture? And in what ways has this become a stumbling block for how, uh, or for men's relationship with the church, right? So I'll, re I'll, I'll, I'll say it one more time, I know that was a mouthful, right? What do you think has led to a more demasculated church culture and in what ways has this become a stumbling block for men's relationship with the church? Yeah, I think that goes back to the authenticity you were talking about, authentic manhood. I think um, uh, there's a pastor, I had a pastor before that when he would teach on men and our failures, many times they fall into three categories and this goes back to the fall in the garden. Men can be absent, we have to avoid, avoid being absent. We have to avoid being abjugating or, or releasing ourselves of our responsibility and we have to avoid being abusive. Um, so if we look at the-, at the My, 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 come on, Pastor Mark. You, you, yeah, you gotta say that again and slow down A's, for us. Right? So that was a, that <laughs> was a word A's, right there. The three A's um, that, uh, to, to, to be absent. If we look at the, the picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Um, it's important for us to be present. Because um, if, if we read closely the scripture, we see there's no really mention that Adam wasn't there. He uh, essentially could have been actually witnessing this conversation, but he was absent. So even our presence, if we're not emotionally present, we're not physically, we're not physically present, emotionally present, spiritually present, um, that's a significant loss for the church, a significant loss for our families, abjugating our responsibility. When they did, when the, when the Lord moved through the garden in the cool of the day and he said, Adam, where are you? They were hiding. And, and when he asked him, who told you you were naked? He said, the woman you gave me. My, my, my. He didn't accept responsibility for the failure that he had to do what God told him to do, right? And then we go to uh, the abuse, and anytime we don't take responsibility, we blame someone else, he was abusive. We also abuse played, we see abuse played out in that second generation when a brother kills his brother. 
So abuse is really just a perversion of power that God has given us, right? So it's important for us as men not to do that. And so really, when you talk about the demasculization of the church, uh, we're not talking about necessarily numbers of women, right? Because men don't repel from numbers of women. We don't have men's night at the club. It's <laughs> ladies' night at the club, right? Because guys will show up where women are. Um, so that's not the point. The, uh, the issue is, like, what's the image of, of biblical manhood, right? Is it authentic biblical manhood? Are there men in this church that are, that are just hunting, right? Trying to conquer the women that are there. Are there men in the church who are not stepping up to what God has called them to be? Are they doing that? Is that the case? Or do we have men that are committed to their wives, right? Do you have men who are committed to raising their children, to, not, to raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and not exacerbating them? to giving up their lives for their wife as Christ did for the church. So it's important for us to, to, to operate that way. And when we think about it, the demasculation really rests solely on the shoulders of, of men not doing those three A's. And so to do that, we just have to reverse it. Pastor Mack. I mean, the trickle-down effect is, uh, is huge, right? Because we have men who 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 they succumb to these, these, these three A's, right? And uh, that, that creates a, a disdain, right? And so um, I think you have a couple of effects, right? Women just say later, later for them, right? And so there's a, probably a, um, yeah, a disdain for men just for not doing what they should do. Um, and then some, some men shrink back, right? And so um, there's that, but then there's also, um, you know, just the culture that we're in now, which complicates and compounds these things, right? Um, uh, we can't even listen to what the authority on manhood is. The manufacturer being God himself, he gets to say what manhood and womanhood is since he created manhood and womanhood. And now um, you can have society uh, putting their own definitions and terms on what manhood and womanhood is. Whether you know, it, it, you go down the whole gender you know, identity road and, and the whole nine. So I think these things have um, compounded right, uh, um, how the church engages with, uh, you know, I guess this feminization of, of church and, and whether men are drawn to it or pulled away from it. So, but um, yeah, it, it's, the church has a lot of work to do now uh, in order to combat uh, these types of things, or at least speak to it in society. You know, as Pastor Mac was talking, I thought of that verse um, where Jesus says, um, broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. You know, there, there's a whole array of choices but they're just one road away from God into hell right? but there's so many different options and I think that social media writes the same thing you can pick your voice pick your influence or pick your channel whatever you want and you can curate that to just what you want to see um, and I think for, for us as the church we just got to keep preaching that narrow road like oh like the things that we're talking about are old right this is not, not new. New. we're not up here doing something brilliant. It's like, we're just preaching the book, right? And it's a couple thousand years old. Like, it's not anything new, but it is a narrow way. And, and the, the, the enemy comes up with different options to, to offer to people, the gender thing, like all that. It's like, okay, it's still, that's just the, the other path, right? Um, so I think the, although I, I will say that from a, from a missiology standpoint, we are, we're taking the, the the ancient scripture and trying to focus it based on what's going on with men right now, right? And I think there are some, some different things that we can do, which we're talking about, of how do we engage the, the, 
the top of mind concerns of the brothers, right? Uh, and that's a, a key conversation for us to always have. But at the end of the day, it's the same stuff, right? That, that engages men, women, cross-culture, whatever, right? It's still just the gospel and the word of God. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up that point um, because we, we know like people are not homogenous, right? Like that's true across gender, but also uh, among just men, right? Like if you were to ask us uh, a question about our core concerns, you might get six different answers uh, because we're, you know, where, where we are in season of life, our personalities, what we're dealing with may be different, right? And so it's important for us to know, you know, what or how, like what some of those core concerns are so that we can make sure that we're engaging men correctly. Because otherwise you end up trying to answer questions that aren't being asked, right? And, and so, so for us, what, what are some of the core issues that we've noticed uh, men in the church are dealing with? Number one, it's a two-part question. And how can the church help to create an environment that welcomes men to deal with it here? <laughs> I'll say it again. So what, what are some of the core issues that men in the church are dealing with? And how can the church help to create an environment that welcomes men to deal with it here? Uh, I would... I would say that the state of emotional health in men is, it, it's an issue. I don't think, I think we've, we've you know, the war vets have raised our parents and, and however, whichever generation you're in, to kind of, you have to be the soldier, but you never show what is, you never show the black hole inside your heart. Um, you, you muster up the courage to go and fight. Um, yes, we have, God has given us responsibilities, but I don't think he wanted you to neglect what you felt in, in taking care of responsibility. And so I think what, what is um, not just, yes, in, in our society, but I think in the church, we have made this... Uh, put on this mask that we have to have it all together. Um, that emotionally, I'm, I'm all right. That's not, we don't have to talk about the emotions. Um, and, and even for, for me, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, every two weeks I'm waiting for my Wednesday so I can go to therapy. Because I know for, for even my upbringing, growing into, in, in, a, in a, a Christian home, there were some areas in which emotions were suppressed it doesn't matter like we just got to do it we got to we got to we got to we got to get it done uh, and that doesn't also for me that doesn't feed uh, because I'm a natural worker so that feeds the fuel of just get it done and it never but when you get married and my wife is emotional she's like sir I need you to slow down and and pay attention not just to my emotions but to your own and so I think I think for, for a lot of us, we have, and I'll, maybe I'll speak for myself, I, I've, I've had to learn to slow down to be healthy enough to even muster up to get to the place where I can take care of something else. Amen. Um, in concert with that, in order for that to take place, there needs to be a, a measure of honesty. There needs to be... Um, 
honestly with oneself about where he, where he is, um, embracing the full range of whatever his emotions may be, and knowing one that God created you as a human being with emotions. God created men and women very distinct and very unique in that women are more emotional than men. When you hear that today, that, that has a negative connotation, but it's the facts. Men are emotional too. Women are just more emotional than men. Men have emotions, but men don't know how to rightly and properly tap into their emotions or access their emotions or navigate whatever it is that they're feeling. Just, just for clarity's sake, because I don't want you to get no emails later. You're, no you're saying, no you're saying women know how to communicate their emotions absolutely. better. Amen. Absolutely. I just, absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. You say, you say that email inbox. Right. <laughs> right. So, so, so with that, right? I knew, I knew where you was going, Pastor. I just wanted to help you out for the folk. So, so another thing with that, with that, another issue that exists is community. <laughs> This is why I need, we need community. Because you be sitting up here by yourself and you know, you might have the right thing, you just may not know how to rightly articulate it, rightly communicate it, and your words, my words be taken out of context. But men, we, we tend to isolate ourselves. We don't put ourselves in a place of of, of, of community where we could be accountable one to another. And then I'm gonna drop another, another cuss word for y'all where dudes don't like to submit to authority either. Oh. <laughs> like, 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 men, like, men have a hard time submitting. Like that's, that's, that's just, I don't know what it is. It's, you know what I mean? Men have a very hard time to submit. Um, so like those are some things that come to mind, but when we submit to the Lordship of Jesus, when we submit one to another, like we open ourselves up for the nurturing care of the Father, um, the ministering care of the Spirit of God. When we have one another, we have someone who's able to help correct you when you're, you know, you might be a little bit to the left or to the right, you know what I'm saying? Um, they're able to protect you help you to see your blind spots where you might be clueless. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know. But you mean like, correction is not a bad thing, Pastor Gus? Well, say that again? You mean encouragement is good, but correction is as well? Man, correction, listen, bro. The Bible says, man, a, a wise man loves correction. A wise man loves correction. A man who isolates himself, Proverbs 18.1, the man who isolates himself, seeks his own desires and rejects every sound counsel. So the, uh, uh, you know, Jesus says a wise man is a man who hears my word and he also applies it. He does what it says. Like he's the one who builds his house on the rock. The fool, the Nabal is the cat who hears God's word and neglect it and fail to apply it to his life. So, you know, those come are the on, come on, teach us the Bible, Pastor Guest. <laughs> Pastor Nari, can you jump on that question? Um, uh, core, yeah, core concerns. I, th I think one of the things for me, uh, and it's still a core concern, but the Lord has done a lot of work in me on it. But I remember growing up, I was not a believer. 
And one of the things that even after I believe the Lord had to really sanctify me on was just the, I don't know if trauma is the right word or just frustration, but I saw a lot of issues in my community, right? And I saw lots of big old churches. And I remember even driving past those churches and being like, if y'all just disappeared, if God snapped his fingers and that building wasn't there, the people weren't there, all the activities y'all do didn't happen, the community wouldn't even notice because you're having no impact whatsoever. Y'all got a nice little social club over there, but nothing is happening with the people who need help. And so even after I, and that was like a top of mind thing for me. I saw that, I was like, what's the point, right? Um, and even after I became a believer, most of my engagement was through parachurch ministries. I didn't even like the church. I, I remember in college, I wouldn't even go most Sundays. Right? I was very involved on campus, sharing the gospel, doing stuff, right? But I didn't see the church as valuable because it didn't seem like it did anything, right? The people that needed ministering to, I was like, where y'all at, right? Um, and it wasn't, and that was not a biblical perspective, but it was a concern I have, and I think I see it in the culture as well. And it wasn't until um, my, uh, the year after college, I was actually doing missions work in Orlando, and the organization I was working with, uh, they're still around Impact Movement, shout out to my Impact people, um, I was working with Impact, and they, they were like, y'all need to go join a church. Like, we are not your church. I was like, oh, for real? Okay. <laughs> I was planning on staying home on Sunday. All right, but they, they were like, you need to go join a church. What church are you part of? And I joined one, and the Lord, just the Lord is such a good, good father, because that ministry, they had something that really connected with me. They, they were working with men who were coming out of prison and seeking to integrate into, into society, and they had a house for them. There's like 10 brothers there, and I went there, and I volunteered every week and did work with those brothers, and it was like, this is not a parachurch ministry. This is a church in a community that's seeking to do something right here, and that, it was like, wow, like the church actually does stuff. And again, that part of that was ignorance. I didn't know how much the church had done, particularly in the black community. Uh, but that was a top of mind concern that seeing that, seeing like looking at men ministering to other men in need and helping them and sharing the gospel and making a fundamental impact on their lives, that was like, wow, I want more of that, right? And so when Ruth and I moved to Philly, I was looking for that. That's part of why I came here, right? Because that's what, the, we, we do stuff here, yeah. <laughs> right? We're not just, you're not just, this is not entertainment, right? This is to train you to get out there and do ministry, right? That's what this is about. We are to make disciples, be salt and light. Like, that is what the, 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 the that's why we're here, right? And so that for me was like a top of mind concern that I had to see address and I think other men in particular women sisters too but I know a lot of black men are like where the church at right and if we don't show up what's the point yeah, just as a side note not that I want to take us too far off but you mentioned how uh, you know seeing those churches if they were absent you know then, then it's it's like what what impact were they having right and I know you're talking more corporately right but but I, I think it even leads to a secondary question individually as, we're, as we as individuals are part of sort of the corporate body, is if you're missing from your church, would your presence be missed, right? Um, and, and, and you know, I think, one of the, I think one of the critiques that's often thrown from the culture about the church stealing money and, and you know, how we all about you know, your money and all that stuff, I think it really kind of stems from 
the inactivity of the church, right? Because if you see a church that's active, you're not going to accuse them of not doing anything with the finances. But I think when you see the church's inactivity, it's like, well, where's this going, right? Um, and so, so to kind of get us back on track, I just wanted to throw that out there a little. But, but um, I, I hear you talk about isolation and, and having issues with sort of what the church is doing and, uh, and even the mental health piece. But, but as a church, as church, like the church, big church and local church, Pastor Mark, how, how do we create a space for men that's both safe so that they feel like they can actually share, right, and not necessarily be beat up all the time, but also invites them, creates room for them to share? Because, you know, as men, we don't necessarily initiate those conversations, right? We're not a good at initiating sort of heart, core core conviction conversations. So how is the church do we make room for that? Yeah, I appreciate that segue too, because Saturday, 9 a.m., Numanity, <laughs> yeah. right here. New part of that is getting some breakfast, getting this with small groups, and talking about the connected life this year. So come on out this week to do that. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the thing about that is men do isolate, and it appears that, almost right along the line with the uh, what um, Pastor Guest was saying, it's like our expressiveness, we don't necessarily, sometimes many men aren't comfortable expressing, but they want to express. Yeah. They yeah. want to open up. Yeah. And so it's incumbent upon us as leaders to provide opportunities, safe place, safe, a safe space, like a, like a ministry like Humanity, like the, the other ministry you can be involved in, but also just, just to connect, just to reach out to a brother. Don't expect him to come to you. And when you ask, how are you doing? Just wait long enough to hear him tell you how he's doing, right? Give them enough time. I mean, that really is loving each other. We think about love. Love is an action word. Um, love is about acting. God so for God so loved the world that He gave right His only Son. If, as husbands, we're, we're to to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up. So if you can ask a brother how he's doing, if you can check in, if you can ask, like, what's your name? I've noticed you around. That we we try to reach out to the brother that's on the fringes and connect with him and find commonality and grow together. And we find safe places where we can do that. Uh, I've found in my experience, men will open up and they're eager to open up. They're eager to share. Uh, we just have to, we, it's incumbent on leadership to provide that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Mack, uh, what, what, are some, what are some best practices for engaging men on the fringes? Um, I think being biblically informed uh, so that you can be properly motivated, right? And so, uh, because you can have a whole bunch of stuff that we should do, but why would you do it? Like when you're tired and you're burnt out, you know, if you don't, if, they, if you don't have the impetus, the, the right motivation uh, uh, to reach out or do or, or engage in whatever strategies, it's not going to matter, right? And so, um, um, uh, listening to what God's mind is on the matter, what his word says on the matter, is going to be vital and important. And then just, um, I'm going to be talking about rebranding. Like we're not, this is not a new definition of manhood, right? This is a reintroduction of what God has created man to be in, right? And so the quintessential man, uh, the Messiah himself, Yeshua, he was compassionate. You know what I'm saying? So he would, uh, you know, you, you see somebody on the fringes. As a matter of fact, that's his MO, right? Like God loves to get the glory out of pulling the, the least likely or the one who's outside, right? And so... Um, just having the right motivation and compassion. Like, you know, you say you love God. Well, okay. So, you know, do you love uh, the brother that's next to you? Are you really going to ask to see how someone's doing 
just to check off a list or are you going to ask to really, like you say, Pastor Mark, to listen and say like, okay, what are they going to say, right? Because they might unload on you and they might not, uh, especially for men, speaking about men, uh, a lot of times um, uh, they may not open up simply because the perception is they may be viewed as weak. Right. If you see a chink in their armor, I can't let you get one in on me. Right. So I have to protect them. Right. And so for good, bad or ugly, a lot of men are built like that. But, yeah, just having compassion. Right. And so that way um, you can be properly motivated. Biblically informed, you can be properly motivated to engage brothers. Yeah, I would, I would just add. And I didn't say this the first gathering, but I think this might sound really simple, but be yourself. The worst thing you can do is try to be somebody else to gain some type of, some type of, I don't know, whatever. Like, this not going to work. Be you. Like, they don't, they don't want this facade of the, the guy who carries his big Bible outside the church. They saw that. And they saw that guy walk by them Sunday after Sunday. What they want is authenticity. They want to know you. Because after all, after they, you know, I think also what plays into it is consistency. I think men need consistency. And so if you are yourself and being consistent with that guy, I guarantee you, the Lord will start to work and that guy will come and he will, he will, he's, going to, he's going to be more vulnerable with you because he, you've shown yourself and now he can show himself. I, I want I want all of you uh, all of you gentlemen to, to answer this question as you kind of go around. But uh, what what can the church do to help men take ownership of helping to drive the mission of the church forward? What can men do to take ownership of helping to drive the mission of the church forward? Well, um, the scripture that comes to mind. Um, yesterday and it struck me uh, you know Paul says to, to his young son in the ministry um, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 um, and before I read it what was, was, stri what was striking to me about this is Paul is, has poured into Timothy right he has spent a lot of years with him and, and Paul's now near the end of his life and he does talk about how he's run the race and he's, he's using himself as an example but the heart of what he is doing to encourage Timothy to persevere isn't about Paul, right? He says uh, in, in chapter two, verse four, he says, no one serving, he says, verse three, share in suffering. That's a crazy commission. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And I, I, I put some exclamation marks next to it. I was like, wow. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Like the core motivation that Paul is trying to communicate to this young man in ministry is look to Jesus. What are you doing to make Jesus happy? Right? What are you doing to, to put a smile on your commanding officer's face? Right? Because if, if you love, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right. It flow. If there's a problem with your obedience is a problem with you walking with the Lord, doing what you're supposed to do. You got to check. Do I love Jesus? Yeah. Right. And if you want to fix those issues, work on your love for Jesus. Yeah. Right. So I think that if we want to call men to be missionally present and engaged, we have to call them to fall in love with Jesus. 
to want to please their commanding officer. A lot of us are more concerned about, we are more concerned with what our bosses think of us than we are with what Jesus thinks. We're more concerned with, what, with how many likes we get on this next post than we are about, is Jesus happy with how I think, with how I feel, with, what I, with the way I look at my sisters? Like, do we care deeply, profoundly, primarily about what does Jesus think? When I'm by myself and no one knows what I'm doing, what does Jesus think? Because all of us are going to have to give an account. Right? So I think it's this, again, that's old. I'm not saying nothing fancy. Right? Do we care about pleasing the commanding officer? If I can, if I can add to that, what comes to mind for me, um, I, think of, um, I think of discipleship. I think of the Lord Jesus when he, when he was present um, in antiquity, he called the disciples. He says, you know, he walked, he walked up on them and he was like, hey, yo, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Here in Luke 9, he says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants, whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What does, what, for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? So Jesus is calling us to, he's calling us into an intimate proximity, intimate relationship with himself by bearing our cross and following him. That can look like strategically us as leaders as we, one, serve, because the greatest leaders are those who don't just dictate mm -hmm. because Jesus put on blast those in the world. That's what they do. But those who are followers of Jesus, they serve by, they lead by how they serve, yeah. how they care for one another. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Acts of works and how they engage one another. And, you know, pulling, pulling dudes in, pulling dudes in, intimate proximity, intimate relationship, transparency. Hey, let's go to the, you know, I need to go take a run with me. Or it being a corporate group or something of that sort, you know, systematically, whatever the case may be. But those are some things that come to mind. Yeah, I think um, the, I love that. I think about the old hymn and the church is uh, lift him up, lift him up till he speaks from eternity. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. I think about the lifting up Christ, right? He will draw men. So having a biblically based, uh, focus, mission, being pointed that direction, right? That's 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 the point. Christ gave us a mission to make disciples, like uh, Pastor Guest was saying, and ultimately it has to be Christ-centered for us to do that. So if we're doing that, and then we provide an opportunity for men to lead, I think uh, a lot of times as leaders, um, the the appearance is to men that there's a select group, there's a fraternal fraternal order of of leaders, right? <laughs> And I can't get in unless I do such and such and so and so. But as leaders, it's come up, if we look at leadership laboratories, places that, that train leaders in the military or, or corporately, if you go to some kind of corporate training for leaders, the, the way they do that is give you an opportunity to lead, to give you an opportunity to lead and fail. And, it's, and as, a, as shepherds, it's our responsibility, as ministry leaders, it's our responsibility to, to widen it, take the training wheel, take one training wheel off. Uh, take another one off as you grow. If you mess up, help you fix fix what's messed up and go back, ultimately pointing it all to Christ, right? So he, get glory, he gets glory from it. 
But if men feel that, then they feel a buy-in. They feel an inclusion. They feel like they, they're a part of it. And then they're on mission, because that's the point. Because if it's all about any ministry that's built around a personality, a, a person, or built around a, a culture of people that get along, if it's just a group, when that person's gone, the ministry's gone, right? When that, when that group falls apart or they fall out, which groups fall out with each other, right? Earth, wind, and fire is a great band back in the day, but how you split all those checks, you know what I'm saying? So it's like once that band falls apart, it's like now you the, the ministry fell apart. So it's important for us to... To, uh, to engage men, give them opportunities, and then shepherd them through the process. If I can add one thing to that. Please I do. Would, I would say faithfulness. Like faithfulness, being consistent, being, being, being faithful, being committed. And just as you said, failing, if and whenever you fail, you, you, know, you get up and you dust yourself up and you keep, you keep chucking at the plow being faithful like none of us here as men have done all of that perfectly like we're all in the same process of being groomed for you know like as though we're leaders but we're still being groomed and there are many days and oftentimes we still fail so being faithful being faithful to jesus um yeah i echo everybody summed it up um uh, but probably I would just echo again when I said earlier, right? Um, the proper motivation means everything. Because like you said, Pastor Mark, like, you know, if, if it's, a, if it's a, a click or a group, once that changes or dies out, if it's a trend, um, once that changes or dies out, um, even strategy, you can work at it. But, you know, um, uh, you need the proper motivation, right? I've heard it said before that um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Like you – how – the core of who people are and what drives them is what will put the fuel into the strategy. So you can you you cannot have a perfect strategy, and but because it's fueled by the right thing, it, it'll eventually correct itself, right? So um, the biblical motivation, uh, the compassion that Jesus Christ has, right? The quintessential man himself, right? This comprehensive, holistic man. Um, and I like to you know just as a side, right? Pastor has even said this before, right? Not the emaciated dude, you know, walking through some lily field, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, um, but the whole man, right? The, the man that wept when Lazarus died, though he knew what was going to happen, right? The man that uh, 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 ripped a beard and, and flipped over tables, the man that called people whitewashed tomb, the man that, um, that said to his father, is there another cup? You know, but not my will. I'm going to submit to this, right? So, this, this, uh, uh, the proper motivation is, is what's going to be huge for it. Um, I, I would say, I didn't, again, sorry, I didn't say this in the first service, but I think um, we need to display humility. Um, a theologian said this at every stage of our Christian life development and at every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy. But humility is our greatest friend. Um, C.J. Mahaney also says in his book, uh, 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 Humility, he says, pride takes enormous uh, for, uh, forms but only has one end, self-gratification, self-glorification. And so I think what would help is, is for us as men to display what it looks like firsthand of, of 
not trying to hold or control everything. Because it, it doesn't belong to us anyway. Like the Lord is asking for us to steward more than just money. <laughs> how, how, how bad are we eating? How, how are we treating and loving our, our spouse or friends? And so I think in, in that process, we, we need to display that there is indeed a, a call of humility that we must have. Um, but also to go to what Pastor Nyron was saying um, about our love for God. Yes, our love for God is definitely, I agree there 100%. Think that's what motivates us and carries us but god doesn't stop at all right you love me but how how you love me if if you hate the one who you sit by on saturday morning for humanity when, when you come in for sunday morning how how do you not speak to them how do you not love on them and so i think we 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 one have to display humility but we also have to see that there is a there's a work from our salvation that we must do um, of loving one another's, doing the one another's. Well, my will, yeah, my will. <laughs> he said the brother said humility, right? Like so, Philippians two, um, I think James three, four, right? You know that 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 pushing against selfish ambition, right, and having the mindset of Christ, right? Um, that those are huge, right? And and to your point on C.J. Mahaney's book is humility, right? Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man. He bids him to die. That's that's the first call. So so for men, um, uh, uh, pushing against pride, um, not seeking your own selfish desires, laying yourself down for the benefit of others. That's the true initiating uh, piece of leadership. I mean, this is this is what 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 Jesus does, right? Um, problem, solution, my solution. I'm going to give. I'm going to act. I love, and this is how the love is acted out. So. So yeah, um, that humility. <laughs> Our example is characterized by humility. He humbled himself. I, I would say there are two things the church can do to help men take ownership, right? I think first, you train their character, and second, you release their gifting, right? So I think, I think we have to train men how to be godly men, and then, you have to be able to see something in him that he might not be able to see in himself and encourage him and release him and give him opportunities to actually execute it within the body of Christ. And I, and I think when men are able to do that, they get buy-in because they see their place. They, they now have a sense of belonging and that belonging helps to give them purpose. And so men, if you're sitting here uh, in, in the room you're listening to this, just know, and this goes for everyone in here, but I know our conversation today is primarily uh, geared towards men, but if you're sitting in here, we, you just know that our, our deepest desire for you is to see Christ formed in you. Where our deepest desire for you is to see you healthy, to see you whole, to see you encouraged, to see you flourishing in whatever season of life God has called you in. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're in school, whether you're broke, whether, you, whether you're taking three steps back just to take two steps forward, regardless of where God has you right now, I, we want you to know that there are godly men who care about you, who love you, who want to see you win, and who will do whatever it takes to make sure that you know that God loves you, he cares for you, and he's done all things possible so that you can live life abundantly.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that uh, we would experience just the richness of your grace that we would experience the richness of your mercy and that we would be encouraged that we wouldn't run from the challenge of manhood but we would see it as a divine right that you've given us to walk in blessing because before there was ever a fall you gave man responsibility you gave man commands and you blessed him and so father i pray that we would grab hold of the blessing that comes from walking faithfully with your son not that it is attached to materialistic things though those things may come but the blessing is knowing you and your son jesus whom you've sent and the life that we now receive because of the death that he died on the cross and so father that's our prayer today that you might show up and show out in our lives and in the lives of every single person that we touch. And it's in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we get ready to take communion together. If you don't have of the elements but would like to participate and join with us, can you raise your hand so we can see who you are and make sure uh, that you have been served? See hands over here to, to the right. Anyone in the balcony or down below that needs to be served? Amen. Amen. I have one more. I have one more right here in the second row to my left. Well, a couple second row to, to the left yeah amen on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said this is my body which has been broken for you and as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me let's eat together Afterwards, he took the cup and blessed it and said, this is my blood, which has been poured out for your sins. And again, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace from now and forevermore and if you agree with that say amen amen and amen god bless you we love you we pray that you have a great week and prayerfully by god's grace we'll see you again next sunday hello this is dr eric mason founder of pastor of epiphany fellowship thank you for tuning in today hopefully the word of god was a blessing to you also if you want to help us build the kingdom from philly and beyond particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.